I need a healing. I mean, I can't minister to someone because my boss was just yelling at me and I'm crabby because he made me crabby. And so we let all of this stuff, I love uh, Pastor Mark's prayer today, we let all of this stuff actually keep us from doing what this book says we're supposed to do. Or, as good Pentecostal people, we over-spiritualize it. And the only time the Holy Spirit moves is after three slow songs. And so we don't learn to hear his voice in just the midst of life. And so we're trying to take the mysticism out of it. Here's the thing. You don't, don't treat the Holy Spirit as common. I mean, don't be disrespectful to who he is, but it's just as disrespectful to go throughout your entire day and not think of him one time. And so, but we've got this idea that, you know, the only way the Holy Spirit's going to, you know, give me a, a gift of prophecy or a gift of healing or, you know, a word of wisdom for someone or a word of knowledge, the only way that's ever going to happen is if someone plays the right chord on the keyboard back here. And so at work, you don't ever operate in it because the keyboard player isn't with you. And so we're trying to help all of us learn to hear and respond to the Holy Spirit. And here's the thing, it has very little to do with how you feel about it. Uh, I love one of the stories that Pastor Jeff Mann tells me uh, all the time. He was on a missions trip in South America, and uh, they were praying for people to be healed, okay? And he got in line. He's like, and, you know, worship was hard because it was all in Spanish, and I don't do a lot of Spanish. And so I'm in the prayer line, and I'm praying for people, and they're getting healed, like genuinely healed. Like diseases, things that I can see are disappearing, and I'm feeling nothing. I'm like, how is this happening? I, th I would think that there's supposed to be this jolt of electricity or something. And we think that's how it happens. We think that, you know, God's going to, mm, and then I'm going to like lay my hands on someone and see him healed. And I don't believe that for a second. I don't believe that's how it works. I believe that sometimes we respond to the still small voice of the Holy Spirit or we just respond to what we already know is true. And we pray, we believe, and we release what God has given us. I'm not, it's not up to us to make the results happen. And we try to make the results happen by being loud or by being, you know, crazy or shaken. And just release what you've been given. That's all you have to do. And so we're trying to make it easier for us to do it here because in this room, when we are, you know, centering our thoughts on him, there's piano music playing. It should be easier here. And so as we learn to do that here, more than likely we'll be able to start doing it out there. But if we won't do it here... I guarantee you we're not doing it out there. I mean, if I'm not doing it in a room where everyone else is trying to engage in it, I'm definitely not doing it out there when people all around me are going to think I'm a nut. Right? And so we're just trying to take the mysticism off of it and let you know that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead really does live in you. The, the enemy's trying to convince you he doesn't. He's trying to convince you it's easy for Jesus to forgive sins, but those you know, miracles things, that's harder today. The only reason it's harder today is because we've believed the lie. And we don't believe that it should happen in our lives. We don't fight for it the same way that we fight for salvation. So today we're talking, we're going to continue through our series, Awakening Pure Worship. 
The idea for the message comes from the book by Jeff Dio called Awakening Pure Worship. Books are still available in the back. If you are reading along with us, I encourage you to do that. Uh, There's a lot of stuff that he covers, especially in today's chapter, that I'm not going to have time to to dig into and go through. Uh, I'm going to share a different passage of Scripture that I felt like the Lord laid on my heart, and then some of what he shares, but not obviously all of it. And the whole point of this series is that we worship an awesome inexhaustible relational God. Okay, meaning you can never get to the place where you know everything about him. You could experience him every day, every moment of your life and never reach the end of experiencing his power, his love, who he is. And this God who none of us could ever approach, approached us and wants to be intimately known by us. He wants us to know him. It's so phenomenal that that's what God wants for us. And so the question that Jeff keeps asking us is, are we going to pursue what God is offering? And so we've been talking about worship. What is worship? You know, why we worship, who we worship. And two of the questions we're never going to technically answer, where we worship and when we worship, even though they're kind of answered because we worship everywhere all the time. Okay, but he never specifically addresses them. And then next week, we're going to start asking the question, how we worship. And what the scripture actually says about how we do this thing called worship. But as we've talked through the different aspects of worship, we've learned that worship is everything we do. It's all of our lives. It's every part of us. But it is also singing. It is a powerful weapon that God has given us. And we do it because it transforms us. We do it because it breaks spiritual forces in our lives. We do it because God is worthy. We worship, last week we talked about, this awesome, relational, inexhaustible God who exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we could learn about him every day of our lives and never reach the end. And today we're going to continue. We're going to finish up that section on who it is that we worship. And the the title of this message, though, is actually called American Idolatry. American Idolatry. Because as we talk about this who that we worship, we want to make sure that we're worshiping God as he's revealed himself to be. Not in some other form. Okay? And so... Exodus chapter 32, page 74, if you got a pew Bible, that's where we're going to start. And there's a story here of the people of Israel. They've now come out of Egypt, and God has delivered them. He used the plagues to get them out. He destroyed the, the army of Egypt in the, the Red Sea, and Moses has ascended. He's gotten the, the Ten Commandments. They've heard it from the mouth of God. Sometimes there's confusion. Um, the people actually heard God speak the Ten Commandments. Okay? They heard him speak those things. Okay, yep, God wrote them all down. He wrote all of the law, not just the Ten Commandments. I know on the tablets of stone, we have this idea of what they looked like. (laughs) Um, You know, he wrote the law on the tablets of stone. So they were probably bigger than, you know, what we have. And so, you know, we're so excited to put up these Ten Commandment statues in America because we want people to see the, the statue of the Ten Commandments, and it probably didn't look like that at all. And so we don't necessarily need to to do that, so don't get been out of shape if they don't want to post them anywhere. They're good ideas. They're great to live by. And if you follow the Ten Commandments, you will be blessed because it's a law of God and you reap what you sow. And so it's good to have, but we don't have to get hung up on it. And so Moses is up there getting the rest of the law now. Okay, He's up there and the people are like, dude, it's taken a long time. We thought this Moses guy would come back down sooner than this. 
And so what's happened is they've heard God thunder, they've heard him speak, and they're like, we don't want to hear his voice. Moses, you go, and then you come back and report to us. But it took longer than they expected. That's what it says in Exodus 32, verse 1. When the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. Aaron was Moses' brother. He was Moses' spokesperson. He's the high priest. So they gather around Aaron. Come on, they said. Make us some gods who can lead us. Now, thank goodness you and I would never do this. Um, let's, let's just make sure. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. So Aaron said, Take the gold rings from your ears of your wives and sons and daughters and bring them to me. All the people took the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. Then Aaron took the gold, pay attention, melted it down, and molded it into the shape of a calf. Literally, he chiseled it into the shape of a calf. That's important because when Moses comes down and he's upset and he says to Aaron, what did you do? He says, I put the gold in the fire and this calf came out. That's what he says. Now, whether he's just lying to, to save his skin or he's been convinced that that's what happened, I think either is possible. I think he could have actually been convinced that's what happened because that's the nature of deception as we're going to see. And so he chisels it into the shape of a calf. When the people saw it, they exclaimed, Oh, Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Now, the calf was a god that they would have been familiar with in Egypt. But that word gods is an interesting word. It's the word Elohim in the Hebrew. And it's actually a word that's used for the God at times. But it's also the word that's used for just false gods, any gods in particular. That's why in your Bible it might say small g. These are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. So they've made this calf. They're excited about it. And Aaron sees how excited the people were. Okay? Whoa! The people are excited, so hey, it must be God, right? Because if the people got excited, it must be God. So he built an altar in front of the calf, and he announced, tomorrow will be a festival to the Lord. Now, that's a big deal, because there's a capital L in most of your Bibles. In fact, some of your Bibles, it'll be L-O-R-D, all capital, because that's the word Yahweh. And that is never used for anyone but God Almighty. So now, all of a sudden, this calf is Yahweh. So the people got up early the next morning to sacrifice burnt offerings and peace offerings. This is what they were told to do. Burnt offerings, peace offerings. It's in the law. And after this, they celebrated with feasting and drinking and indulged in pagan revelry. All of a sudden, they're doing things clearly forbidden by God as a way to honor him. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the Apostle Paul writes about what happens to Israel in the Old Testament. And at the end of that, he says, these things happen as examples for us. They were written down to warn us who live at the end of the age. That's us. If you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. So back to Exodus 32. The Lord knows what's happening up on the mountain. So he says to Moses, quick. Go down the mountain, your people. <laughs> you know, parents, you know it. Your son. You know what your son did today? 
Not our son, your son. Your people whom you've brought from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. How quickly. They thought it had been a long time. I mean, where's this guy Moses? And God says, how quickly. They have turned away from the way I commanded them to live. They have melted down gold and made a calf. They have bowed down and sacrificed to it. They are saying, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Then the Lord said, pay attention to this phrase, I have seen how stubborn and rebellious these people are. We're going to come back to that phrase, stubborn and rebellious. Let's pay attention to it. Now, unfortunately, this happens throughout the Old Testament. And in Zephaniah, there's another time when Zephaniah chapter 1, where God is talking through Zephaniah, and he says these people go up to their roofs and they bow down to the sun, the moon, and the stars. They claim to follow the Lord, but then they worship Moloch too. And Moloch, if you know your biblical false gods at all, was the child sacrifice god. You would offer your children as a sacrifice to Moloch. And so these people, they would go up, they'd worship the sun, the moon, and the stars. They would still worship God, and yet they would offer sacrifices to Moloch too. And so God says, I will destroy those who used to worship me, but now no longer do. They no longer ask for the Lord's guidance or seek my blessings. It's interesting because it says, then they worship Moloch too also. It wasn't that they weren't worshiping God at all. It's that they were worshiping God and then worshiping Moloch also. And God says, they're not even worshiping me. That's interesting because it clearly says they were worshiping him, but just also worshiping other gods. But God likens that to not worshiping him at all. Okay. So, It's not that these people were overtly turning away from God and turning completely to false gods. That would have been easy to spot and easy to see. What they were doing was this subtle mixing of the worship of God with some of the other things, just so we cover all of our bases. And that's actually biblically more dangerous than turning completely away from God. So the question that you and I have to answer is, do we have idolatry in our lives the same way they do. do. Because we don't have little statues in our house or because we don't do things like sacrifice our children on an altar, are we guilty of idolatry in any other way? Because the New Testament strictly forbids idolatry. There are many passages where it tells us to turn away from idolatry, much like the one in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, where the Apostle Paul says, my dear friends, flee from the worship of idols. Now, if you were paying attention just a few verses later, where he was earlier was where he was talking about the people of Israel and how we need to be careful that we're not um, thinking we just stand firm so that we don't fall away. In that next breath, he's saying be, be able to flee from the worship of idols. And that word idols literally means any material representation of a deity. So again, does that just mean statues? Because it, uh, as long as I don't have a material represent, I don't my phone is not an idol because I don't bow down to it. I don't pretend this is Yahweh. So does, am I clear? Am I good? Is that the question? And so let's look at a, a passage in Romans chapter 1 that deals with this. It says, The people knew God, but they would not worship Him as God or even give Him thanks. So they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. And as a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. It is statues. We're free from idolatry. 
they traded the truth of God for a lie and they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself who's worthy of eternal praise. So is Paul saying anything God created could actually become an idol for us? Meaning a relationship? Meaning myself? You know, maybe worshiping my own self-righteousness or my own selfish desires? Maybe that's idolatry. So let's look at a couple more passages. Colossians chapter 3. Put to death the sinful earthly things that are lurking within you. Now remember, this letter is written to the brothers and sisters of Christ. So even though we've put faith in Christ and even though we've been made perfect by the death of Jesus, lurking in us are these sinful earthly desires that we need to put to death. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires, okay? Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of the world. Okay, so the excessive desire for more possessions can become idolatry. Got it, got to break that. I don't want to lust for more things or more stuff or more relationships. Did you actually know that giving is actually a way for us to break that idolatry, that selfishness in our hearts? And as you see the people in the, the Old Testament, when they first come to faith, do you remember what they were doing? They were actually selling possessions and bringing money to the apostles and saying, hey, we, we want to break this thing off of our lives. We're giving this to you. Use it for the kingdom. And notice they didn't ask for, hey, I want to know where this money's being spent. I want to know every nook and crank. I want to know every dollar. If you're going to give it to that person over there, I don't think they deserve it because I think they could be working harder than they are. So you make sure they don't get any of my money. I mean, that's kind of the way we give today in our American churches, and I'm all for accountability, and I'm all for good stewardship, but sometimes we mask responsibility, uh, we mask greed as responsibility. You know, I, I don't think that person deserves my money, so unless you tell me who we're given to, I'm not given. But, okay, and it could be that you're just being very responsible, but it, I also know that idolatry lurks in our hearts, and sometimes... God says, hey, I want you to do this without knowing why you're doing it, and we got to listen to him. So you don't have to listen to me, but you, we got to make sure we listen to him. So does greed obviously leads to idolatry, these possessions, these things of the world? Is there anything else in Scripture that maybe helps us understand what else idolatry could be? I'm glad you asked, because in 1 Samuel chapter 15, there's a verse that really freaks me out sometimes. Look at this, Verse, 1 Samuel chapter 15, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Rebellion and stubbornness is what got attached to the golden calf moment. And see right here in this 1 Samuel 15 passage, God has told Saul to go to war and destroy all the Amalekites. Don't leave any of them alive. Don't leave any of the animals alive. And Saul keeps some of them alive. But he does them. I'm going to offer sacrifices to the Lord. I mean, it's a, um, it's a spiritual reason. And Samuel says, God doesn't want your sacrifices. He wants your obedience. Your rebelliousness, your stubbornness is just as witchcraft and idolatry. That sounds pretty harsh. But the question that you and I need to wrestle with today is when we talk about who we're worshiping, is have, are we worshiping a God or are we in danger of worshiping a God that we have created in our own image? 
instead of the God who's revealed himself in Scripture. I think it's very possible we can get there without really even recognizing it because the enemy masquerades as an angel of light. And we're told to flee from idolatry. And we're also told things like this in 2 Timothy chapter 4. There's a time coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching, but to follow their own desires. To follow their own desires. Not to follow who God has revealed himself to be. Not to follow who his character is and his nature, but to follow their own desires. They will look for teachers who will chop up this book in a way that gives us what we want, not who God is. And that's a dangerous place to be. We also have the habit of overemphasizing some of the traits of God over other traits. In other words, you know, we, we tend to really love his grace and mercy, but we tend to downplay his righteousness and holiness. I mean, I love that God is my Abba Father, He is my Daddy, but the, the consuming fire part, can we downplay that consuming fire? And here's the thing, this is a picture of who He is. He is awesome, He is a consuming fire, He is your Abba Father, He is your Daddy, He is love, He is justice, He is righteous, He is gracious and merciful. And when we start exalting our preference, I, I prefer to think of God as Daddy, I don't care what you prefer to think of him as. Who is he? Yes, he is your daddy, but don't get so comfortable with him that you forget he's a consuming fire. Because both of those characteristics of God are meant to help us understand the fullness of God. I mean, if all we talk about is his consuming fire, we're all going to be so afraid of him that we're never going to approach him. But if all we talk about is he is our daddy, then we're not going to care how we live our lives. And anything goes. And so we don't approach him as we prefer. I mean, we get so hung up on having it our way here in our culture that we think we can do that with this holy, awesome God we worship. And what Paul is trying to teach us through these passages is that we've got to make sure that when we claim to be worshiping him, we really are worshiping him. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul says that the Holy Spirit clearly tells us that in the last times, some will turn away from the true faith. They will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. Oh my goodness, well, you and I would spot those. But they're hypocrites and liars. Their consciences are dead. It's, they say it's wrong to be married and wrong to eat certain foods. So the doctrines of demons are just extra rules that we've put on the cross otherwise known as legalism. You know, don't play with cards, don't go to the movies, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't taste, don't touch, don't do. Doctrines of demons, Paul calls them. We would think that they're just little errors. I mean, that's the thing. The enemy is so subtle that we think, well, that's just a little error. I don't really need to pay attention to that too much. I mean, I know it's not okay to be legalistic, but a doctrine of demon? Don't you think that's a little far? No. Flee from idolatry. James even gets in on it a little bit in James chapter 1. In James chapter 3, he talks about spiritual adultery, but he's starting here. Get rid of all the filth and the evil in your lives. Isn't it interesting that these saints of God still have filth and evil in their lives? Does that give you a little hope? It should. It also should give you a little grace and mercy for the person beside you. 
who you're like, I don't understand why they still have filth and evil in their lives. <laughs> you do too. You've just grown accustomed to it. <laughs> okay, so he says, get rid of it. Humbly accept the word God has planted in your heart. It has the power to save your souls. It has the power to save your souls. Not, it will save your souls. It has the power to save your souls. You can actually receive the word and it not save your soul. You can receive it with joy. And yet the cares and the anxieties of life choke it out. And it never saves your soul. Or the hardships and the trials that you face in life scorch it and it never saves your soul. Does that mean you don't go to heaven? You know, I, I can't really, I'm just tired of that question. I don't care if I'm, the question isn't, am I going to get to heaven? The question is, am I in relationship with my father today? And if I stay in relationship with my father, then heaven is just a natural byproduct of that relationship. The people that generally ask, am I going to make it to heaven, are the people that don't really want to get close to the father here on earth. They just want to take it to heaven. Well, that's, a day, that's like Russian roulette with spirituality, and if you want to play that, go ahead. I don't think that's what the Bible teaches. I think the Bible says get as close to him as you can because the subtleties of idolatry can creep in and undermine the power that can save your soul and actually get you to a place where you're deceived because you listen to God's word, but you don't do what it says. Otherwise, you deceive yourselves. You're fooling yourselves. I mean, think about the scriptures that say, do not complain about anything. Now, I know Paul wasn't talking about South Dakota winter. <laughs> right? I mean, I, was, I had a hard time getting this sermon ready for this week. Because every time I look out the window, I want to complain. Why is it a big deal when we complain about the snow or complain about the weather or complain about the Democrats or complain about the lack of businesses in Huron or the terrible service we have in these businesses in Huron? Why is it a problem? I mean, that's just a little thing. I don't think it's a little thing. I think when God says don't complain about anything, he means don't complain about anything, not because the moment you complain you're an idolater or the moment you complain you're a sinner and I've cast you out, but the moment that you complain it's like taking a chisel and you're starting to chisel a God in your own image. And it's subtle. It's one complaint at a time so you don't recognize it. And we get to the point where all we do is complain. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Well, surely Paul didn't know the people I work with. I mean, he didn't know my spouse. And he certainly doesn't mean the people that should know better. I mean, these people, they should know better. And I discern that person has wrong motives. And so that person, I should be able to let a little bit of slander come out of my mouth towards them. Chisel, chisel, chisel. And all of a sudden, out jumps this God that we claim to worship, calling it Jehovah, and it looks nothing like Jehovah. And it just jumped out of the fire all on its own. I don't understand. I mean, I wasn't looking at pornography. I wasn't cheating on my spouse. I wasn't cheating on my taxes. I wasn't telling lies. I mean, I was just complaining. Chisel, chisel, chisel. See that no bitter root springs up to defile many. Well, but he, Paul doesn't mean the people that have hurt you purposely. I mean, you can let a little bitter root grow up. I've been in church far too long to know that we cannot let bitter roots grow up. But yet every complaint, every word, every offended moment in our lives, we're chiseling out a God that's in our image. And the problem is the end of that journey is we still worship Jehovah. It just, we're not really worshiping Jehovah anymore. 
We're worshiping Jehovah that we've created, that gives us what we want. And the thing is that when we talk about idols in the scripture, idols can't help people. And so I feel like at times we have American Christians who go to church every week crying out to a God that can't even help them because it's not the God that's revealed himself in this book. And so this isn't, you know, cover yourself in shame. This is a just make sure that who you're worshiping is who he's revealed himself to be. And don't treat anything. You know, we take stubbornness and we take rebelliousness and we, we claim it as a part of our upbringing. Well, you know, Pastor, I'm a good German. I'm just stubborn. I mean, I'm a former Hutterite. I'm stubborn. Oh, dear God, you're an idolater. Why would you claim that? That's why God made you a new creation in Christ Jesus so that you would no longer be stubborn and rebellious, so that you would lay down and trust the Creator who asked you to lay that down. And if He asked you to lay it down, He knows far better than any of us do. Well, if I lay that down, if I lay this offense down, how do I know that person's ever going to get what they have coming to them? Above our pay grade. And I hope they don't get what's coming to them, actually, because I never have. How about you? But see, we tend to view other people based on what they do, and we view ourselves based on our actions. And we love that God is gracious and merciful toward us because we need it, but we don't want him, we want him justice over there, God, justice with that one. It's idolatry. And it creeps into our lives, and yet we still go through the religious motions, and we still honor and worship God, but we're just worshiping other gods too. In Jeremiah chapter 2, I'm not going to take time to read through it because we don't have time, but Jeff goes through it in the book in great detail. God talks about the people of Israel who literally are prostituting themselves to these other gods, these gods that aren't really gods at all. And he spends the entire chapter really just covering them with like, I mean, they ought to be ashamed of themselves. But I love that Jeremiah chapter 3 follows Jeremiah chapter 2. And this is what he says. Therefore, go and give this message to Israel. This is what the Lord says. O Israel, my faithless people, come home to me again, for I am merciful, and I will not be angry with you forever. Only acknowledge your guilt. Admit that you've rebelled against the Lord and committed adultery against him by worshiping idols under every green tree. Confess that you refused to listen to my voice, stubborn. I, the Lord, have spoken. That's all he wants from us is just transparency and honesty. And so many of us are afraid to give that because we don't want to acknowledge that we're the problem. I mean, it's easier when other people are my problem. If I acknowledge that I'm the problem, then I'm the one that has to change. Good. It's not so much um, just changing what we do, okay? We've talked about that in this book because, you know, we could make sure, okay, I'm going to make sure I don't complain. I, I worked really hard on that this week, making sure I didn't complain and I still didn't do really well because uh, it's just so easy to complain. And, uh, and, but the question is, why am I complaining? Where's that coming from? Because there's something in here that's making that come out. So I'm going to make sure that I don't complain still, but I got to find out why that's coming out in the first place and what needs to change down here. Maybe how I'm viewing God or how I'm viewing myself or how I'm, maybe I'm viewing myself with self-righteousness or selfishness and I want things my way. I mean, hey, I want what I want and this is keeping me from getting what I want, so I'm going to complain about it. And it reveals all kinds of stuff and we stop trusting this God that we've been called to worship and know. Jeff in the book tells another story about 
a time that his dad was overseas with a pastor and, you know, they were sharing, as many people do, many people have made this statement, we don't understand how his dad was asking this pastor, how do you, how do, you do it with you guys? You have nothing. I mean, you don't have money, you don't have the medicine, you don't have, uh, you don't have anything and you're persecuted and I don't know how you stay strong in faith. And the guy flips it right back on him and says, you know, I, I don't know how you do it because you have everything and you don't need God. You don't need him. I mean, I, our level of faith comes to the level of need of God. And if, if we're going to be content to live at this level, then, you know, that's our level of faith. And God, God will meet you there, but he really wants you to come up here. And so sometimes we just have to trust him and surrender and yield to him even when it doesn't make sense to us. I want us to look at one last passage of Scripture. And then at the end of the service today, I really want us to just kind of open our hearts to God and just make sure that idolatry hasn't crept into our lives. Because, it, again, it's, it's super subtle. And I know none of us ever would be, none of us in this room, I don't believe any one of us, would overtly open the door to idolatry in our lives. But I do believe the enemy is smarter than any of us in this room without the Holy Spirit. And he finds ways to introduce little things that we can chisel off. So we can just make God a little less like God and a little more like what I'm comfortable with. And before we know it, it's full-fledged idolatry. And it's killing us. I mean, it's killing us. It's literally not, we're so frustrated because we can't get what we need from God and he's promised it to us. And the problem is we're worshiping a God that's not who he's revealed himself to be at all. It doesn't mean you have to be perfect, but it does mean you have to be honest. It does mean we have to be repentant. It does mean we have to open up our hearts and say, God, you said no complaining. I, I don't want this. You said no unwholesome talk. I don't want this. You said no bitter root. I, I don't want this. This is who you are, and so I want to line up with who you are. But here's the thing. We can get busy, and we can keep going through the motions, and we can get active in church and in ministry and in, in service clubs, and we can be doing all kinds of stuff for the Lord and not be worshiping the God who's revealed himself in Scripture. That's the danger. And God writes to seven churches in the book of Revelation, and one that I'm sure you're familiar with, Revelation chapter 3, the church in Laodicea. It's the message from the one who is the amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of God's new creation. I know all the things that you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. I wish you were one or the other. I mean, it doesn't make sense that he would wish we were cold. It doesn't make sense that he would wish that we would just overtly turn away from him and worship a false god, but that's easier to spot. It's this mixed stuff that's hard to deal with. But since you are lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you, literally vomit you out of my mouth. And that's, I mean, I don't know if you like vomiting or not, but... You know, your whole body gets into it, and it's these contractions, and it's because something is in your body that your body doesn't, it's rejecting it. And the reason that God has to reject lukewarm is because lukewarm, just because you got a little bit of God doesn't mean you got God. And worshiping God in Moloch too, he, I, you don't even worship me. You don't even know me. 
And instead of letting the actions that are coming out of us reveal that there's something in us that God needs to work on, I mean, I'm not saying that we're not saved and we're not, we should be ashamed of ourselves. I'm saying there's something God wants to pick, a, pick at today. He wants to pull out of us, but if we keep making excuses, he's not going to be able to do it. And then look what he says to them. You say, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. But you don't realize that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. They weren't even aware of their own true condition. And so I advise to you to buy gold from me, gold that's been purified in the fire, so you will be rich. Buy white garments from me so that you will not be shamed by your nakedness and ointment for your eyes so that you will be able to see. I correct and I discipline everyone I love. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. Look. I stand at the door and knock. How many of you know we use that all the time? Oh, sinner, the Lord is standing at your door and knocking. But these aren't sinners. These are believers. These are Christians. And he's knocking at their door saying, hey, let me in. Let me in. It's indifference. Indifference. Indifference doesn't seem like a big deal. I mean, I'm still doing, I'm still reading, I'm going through the Bible in a year. I mean, I'm, I'm still going to church. I'm still writing my tithe check. I'm still serving in ministry. I'm just indifferent. It's just indifference. And it's so subtle, it's just chiseling away at a God that's not the God we're supposed to worship. But if you, not, if you open the door, if you hear my voice and you open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to, what the, to the Spirit and understand what he's saying to the churches. So here's what I hope we understand today. Idolatry, worshiping a God that we've created that gives us what we want, is a subtle thing and can creep into our lives. And God wants to make sure that there aren't areas of rebellion and stubbornness in our hearts that need to be picked at. He doesn't want us to make excuses for him. He wants us to open the door. And here's the thing. When you open the door, he's not coming in with a speech. He's not coming in and saying, you know, I don't understand. I've told you this over and over. Why didn't you? I mean, maybe your father gave you that speech. I'm a father, and I'm not always a good one because I give the speech. I don't know why you don't listen to me. (laughs) How many times have we told you? That's not what he's going to do. He's going to come in, and he's going to share a meal with you. All he wants is for you to come into a relationship with him and know him as he is. Because when you don't know him as he is, it's actually hindering what you need and want in your life. So he's not angry. He's knocking, saying, let me in. And the question is, are you you and I today going to open that door to him? And so, Father, I thank you that you do discipline those that you love. And I thank you that you love every one of us in this room today. And God, we recognize that idolatry, it can be so subtle in our lives and so subtle in our hearts. And it can kind of creep in without us recognizing it. And so, Holy Spirit, we're going to quiet ourselves now over these next few moments. And we want you to speak to us. We want you to show us those areas of our hearts that that uh, we need to release to you. We need you to, to show us the things that we've chiseled off of your character that need to be put back on. We need you to to just reveal some things in our hearts that we need to turn away from, that we need to repent of today. And so, Holy Spirit, do a deep work in every one of our hearts over these next few moments.
And here's, here's what we're going to do. In just a moment, I'm going to play a song that you can feel free to worship to if you want. But I, again, I've prayed over these chairs at the front today because there's something significant about taking that step to just say, God, I'm, I got to come to you. I got to come and I, I want to just open my heart to you and let you speak. And I want to encourage you to take these next few moments and do that. And our prayer team is going to be available here in the front in just a moment. And, and uh, we'll be here if you want someone to pray with you. But I, I kind of get the sense that today's a day that God just wants to speak. And he wants to make himself known to each of us today in a, just a fresh way and in a real way. And he wants to do some open heart surgery today that's going to bring us to a better place. So just trust him. Just listen for where he's knocking and open the door in that area of your heart to him.
are indeed a good father, that you do discipline those that you love, and we welcome that discipline into our lives today. God, we welcome your correction into our lives today. God, we want to know you as you are. We want to know you. God, we want to know you. God, we are so grateful that you want to be known by us, even far greater than we want to be known. God, you want us, and you're going to continue to pursue us. And so I pray for each one of us today. Holy Spirit, that you would take this word, this message, do a deep work in our hearts. Reveal to us the Father's love for us. Reveal to us the things that we need to know. Correct our image of who you are so that we see you and that we know you as you are. God, we want to worship you that way. And so, Holy Spirit, continue to work in our hearts today, I pray, in Jesus' name. If you want to continue at the altars or you want to stay at your seat and be in prayer, uh, you're more than welcome to do that. If you need to be dismissed, just do it quietly and let this be a place of prayer for those that want to spend some more time in prayer uh, before they're dismissed today. God bless you as you go.